warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Hey, this is Keith Morris. I'm the lead vocalist in Off, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Yeah! What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 116 of the Bone Bad Show. This is Steve. This is Gord. How's it going, man? It's going a lot better now that I'm not stuck on your stupid drawbridge. <laughs> You're home from Seattle and the fourth yeah. Bone Bat Comedy of Horrors Film Fest. That was a blast, man. Thanks uh, for coming up. It was a great up. time, man. I had a fantastic time. Yeah, it was great. I think sold out show. Good time was had by all. Yeah, full house, and there were a lot of laughs, a lot of cringing during how Olin lost his eye. Actual shrieks in the theater. I I want there to be shrieks in the theater, not just from you dropping your pants. That's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, that was a good time. Now, you got stuck on a bridge, though. You should tell our listeners about that, because that doesn't happen very often. I don't know. It's the first time it's happened to me, but I was driving across your fair city from one side of Seattle to the other, and as I'm driving down the road, I see a sign lit up, and it says something to the effect of a road closed 9 to 9.45 or something like that. Fine, whatever. I'm driving. There's The road is clearly not closed because I'm on it and driving, and there's other cars <laughs> on it driving. Well, all of a sudden, I get to a point where traffic just comes to a halt. There's no way to turn around or go back or anything because I'm halfway across a lake. And uh, there is indeed a drawbridge, which is up, like about seven cars ahead of me. (laughs) It's shown up. I'm stuck out on your lake or lagoon or your, your body of water, whatever Seattle has. We have drawbridges down here, but 
if it's going to be up, they stop you like before you're actually out over the body of water. So if you want to do something like go elsewhere, take an alternate route, you can. Not so with you guys. So the the period of time it said that the road was going to be closed was substantial. I can't remember if it was half an hour or 45 minutes, but it was a goodly amount of time. And being that I'd never been out there before in the dead of night, stuck on this particular stretch of floating uh, asphalt, I got out of my car, a rental car, a car I'm not familiar with, and I took a look around. I looked at the water. I looked at the cars behind me. There are other people out of their cars doing whatever. And I admit it, I did. I, I shot a selfie of me out on this bridge. And then maybe 10 minutes had passed since I'd stopped. Not anywhere close to the amount allotted time as told to me by that flashing sign. And the drawbridge starts going down and the cars all start up and everybody wants to go. So I hop in my car and it's one of these new fancy highfalutin cars without a key that you turn. It's just a button you push. Okay. And I'm, I'm like hammering on the button and I can't start the car. And I, I'm like, oh God, you push the button, a little screen lights up. It says depress brake and push button. So I'm depressing the brake and I'm pushing the button. Nothing. Cars are honking. There's only two lanes. I'm, I'm doing the, the universal, oh, what, go around, go around thing, wave. I'm like trying to create. I had left the car in drive. And, and it <laughs> apparently needs to be in park to start. So sorry about destroying traffic on your bridge. I'm just glad you didn't pull a Blues Brothers and like try to jump it, being as you were in a rental. <laughs> well, I, that you know, I was in a Ford Fusion, and that car has some pep. I should have tried it. I, I kind of like that car, a little Ford Fusion. But I tell you that that keyless thing that they have now is not a step forward by any stretch of the imagination. I have a car that starts with a key, and there's a little alarm fob on it. Does all the same stuff that keyless thingamabob does. You can't start the car unless you've deactivated it with a little thing on the fob, and it's about one quarter the size of that. These damn Keyless fobs that Ford gives you are roughly the size of a lasso opso head. I've had smaller cell phones. <laughs> yes, as have I. It's like it's like carrying a chain of cell phones. Yeah, and because it's a rental, they give you two and they chain them together. So now you've got like this high tech nunchuck thing that you got to keep in your pocket. That's the size of two lasso opso heads chained together that you got to keep in your pocket. That's not progress. It's not I progress still, at all. I still think you should have jumped it. It's got rental tires, rental engine, rental shocks. <laughs> I traded it from microphone. Four point seven. Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, I got off the bridge. Here I am, safe and sound. I'm glad you made it home, man. And uh, again, thank you so much for coming up. That was a blast. We had a good time. Oh hell to the yeah. Uh... Yeah. So uh, our music this episode. Why don't we talk a little bit about uh, who exactly kicked things off? Uh, this episode, we are thrilled to be able to feature the music of the one, the only, off, really a punk rock supergroup featuring Keith Morris on vocals, uh, Stephen McDonald, who you may remember is the bassist from Red Cross, also yeah. the bassist in Off, Mario Rubalcaba, who's the drummer for Rocket from the Crypt, is the drummer in Off, and finally, uh, Dimitri Coates from a band I was not previously familiar with called Burning Brides, is the guitarist and uh, main songwriter for Off. So just a great band, great urgent punk rock like you don't hear a lot of nowadays. You may wonder if that's still being made. Absolutely, yes, it is. 
The tune we kicked the show off with was called Void You Out, which is the lead cut of their brand new album, Wasted Years. I hope you dig it. And I was actually able to spend a few minutes talking to Keith last week. So we have an interview in the middle of the show. Speak to him, learn a little bit more about their punk rock offering. So super glad to be able to bring that to you. Oh, hell yeah. But before we do, dude. Steve. What pisses you off? You know what pisses me off is patent trolls. Oh. Wreck everything. You know, that pisses me off. I think for the maybe the first time, we're going to do a combo what pisses us off. I don't think we've done that before. I don't think so. And it's a very, you know, cogent thing to be pissed off about right now because it's something that not only affects us, but potentially everybody who's listening to this episode. Everybody who listens to podcasts, has a podcast, has jotted down an idea for a podcast on uh, any piece of electronic equipment and possibly even including a pen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Okay, well, so going back, there's a company called Personal Audio. They uh, formed back in the late 90s as a publisher of magazines on tape. And uh, the owner of that company, uh, one James Logan, claims to have invented the concept of podcasting back in 1996 via his efforts to get an mp3 type player off the ground evidently he invested over a million dollars but was unable to make that happen so he started producing these customized analog cassette tapes with current news on them and magazine articles as part of a firm called personal audio now that company went into bankruptcy back in 1998 but he's had this patent on the books for quite some time and in 2009 he filed an addendum to that patent or a child patent as they're called updating the definition as a system for disseminating media content representing episodes in a serialized sequence which can be downloaded by subscribers from a specific URL that client software can retrieve and store so basically this guy did not write any software that would get a podcast to you did not create the system for delivering podcasts. As a matter of fact, he's never even recorded a single podcast. But he claims that the entire process of podcasting violates his patent. Yeah, and it's really, really easy to say something violates your patent these days. There are whole gigantic law firms that have sprung up that do nothing but sue people, companies, over patent infringement using the most broad terms possible. And if you listen to Planet Money, if you listen to This American Life, you're up to speed on this, but there are just an unfathomable number of really, really general ideas that aren't necessarily new, they're not necessarily novel, they're not necessarily even practical sometimes, but they get patented. And even the people, the engineers that that fill out the paperwork for these things, they say that what they're doing is is bullshit. It, you can just come up with an idea like, I have an idea to deliver content digitally through copper. <laughs> right. And, you know, then you can sue anybody that's doing anything on the internet. There was even a nonprofit that got sued for, uh, what the hell was it? Like responding with a fax to an email or responding with an email to a fax, one or the other. And someone's like, hey, no, I've patented that idea. It's, it's just, it's a mess. The patent system is a goddamn mess. And the attorneys have figured out a way to make piles of money using this mess to enrich themselves. And 
really contributing nothing to society as a whole except for pain and misery. Right, because the standard operating procedure is if somebody is violating your patent, you send them a cease and desist letter, and then you say, let's work out a licensing fee. So it's a shakedown. And so what exactly. Personal Audio did was they sent cease and desist letters. They actually did win a lawsuit, but it had something to do with the use of playlists. They sued Apple back in 2011, and they won $8 million. Now, since then, that case was appealed, and at the end of the day, nobody really knows what the final settlement was there. But it wasn't a podcasting-specific thing. It had to do with playlists. So then after that... They released a new lawsuit where they sued Ace Broadcasting, which is Adam Carolla, the Discovery Network, which is How Things Work, Fox, all the major broadcasting networks, and a little tiny company in Texas that is called TogiNet. And the sole reason that TogiNet is on this lawsuit isn't because of such scintillating shows as The Chris Ann Hall Show, Innovation Divas with a Z, American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. Boy, that's a good one. Or Sex Talk with Lou. Good old Lou. And it's Lou, L-O-U. So it's like, I I don't know, Captain Lou Albano. I might tune into that. I would listen to that. I would. Obviously, none of these podcasts are great shakes. The sole purpose of adding them to lawsuit was to keep the suit in Marshall, Texas, home of a subdivision of U.S. District Court known for being friendly to patent plaintiffs Plaintiffs prevail nearly 60% of the time in eastern Texas, compared to just over 30% across all jurisdictions, according to Price Waterhouse. And that's the thing. There are these whole office buildings set up in East Texas that these attorneys claim as their corporate headquarters, and they're unoccupied. Yeah, they just put exactly. put an office in there, put a name on the door. James, you don't even ever need to show up. James Logan lives in New Hampshire. Schlong. <laughs> So anyway, they do the shakedown. They try to get somebody to pay. And uh, Ace Broadcasting and Adam Carolla has said, you know what? Fuck you. I'm going to get as many people together as I can, and we're going to actually fight this. So the trial has been scheduled for September of this year. And it's kind of a call to arms. If you're interested in podcasts, if you're interested in podcasting, look up, read about it, you know, spout your opinions and even if you want to give a little bit of money to fight the cause you can do that too i have donated money to that cause by the way and i mean you know anybody who is interested in for us it's a hobby we don't make any money off of it and yeah yet, if, they, if they took 50 percent of what we make from this podcast we would still make the same amount of money but it's the kind of shit where they would send you hey say hey you know what 116 episodes times a thousand dollars times however many downloads You owe us hundreds of thousands of dollars. They could try. They could try. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing that's at stake here. That's what's at stake. And to stop that from happening, this lawsuit needs to go down in flames. So, there you go. That pisses me off. It's a mess. Some of the other bullshit, though, that I noticed when I was looking up some of the facts is that, check this out. So, spoken audio or talking books have been available in schools and public libraries in the United States since the 1930s. Internet talk radio, the very first internet talk radio show, was called Geek of the Week and came out in 1993, which was three years before this guy even says he thought of the patent. Yeah, it's it's freaking amazing, isn't it? And yet, the United States Patent Office saw fit to give him the patent in 2012. 
So clearly they didn't do their fucking research. Yeah, when you hear uh, Obama saying the patent system is a mess, he's he's not just talking shit. The patent system is a mess. Hopefully it'll shake out in the right direction. I don't know. Why don't we listen to a tune, man? Hey, let's listen to a song, Steve. This is from the uh, first off compilation, which was released back in 2010. Now I'm pissed. Well named. Once again, now I'm pissed by off from the first four EPs. So, dude, we're going to talk just for a minute about the film festival. I know we've been talking plenty about it, but uh, I think uh, what, what, we, we do. what we do want to announce is the winners of the Viewer's Choice Award. Now, we did do something a little different this time. We do something different every time. I know we do, but in one of our every year, we've got a couple of people who always recommend, you know, there's just too many shorts. They're all so great. Why don't you have films in different categories so we can vote for different things? And to me, it would make for a very messy ballot. I don't know how you would, how you would do that. The ballot is a mess enough as it is. I know, because it has everything on it. 31 shorts plus social media links and all kinds of stuff to make it easier for people to A, vote, and B, give a little buzz to their favorites after the fact. But uh, this year... Actually, we had a tie for Viewer's Choice Award, and it fell according to animated and live action. So, in a way, for the first time, we're going to be able to offer a Viewer's Choice Award for animated short and a Viewer's Choice Award for live action short. And uh, that kind of takes care of itself, so that was pretty awesome. And hopefully, this year was perfect for it because we had a ton of great animation and we had a ton of great uh, live action. So, so I, I don't know. Last year, we only had maybe two, three animated shorts, but it would be nice if we could keep that going going forward. Yeah. If you never know. You never know what you're going to get. You never know. So why don't you tell folks a little bit about who our winner was for animated short? Okay. Yes. Our winner this year was Little Quentin, which was the short that I wanted oh so bad to get into the film festival last year, and we just could not make contact with the animators. Finally made contact, they submitted, and the people loved it. And (laughs) I'm so glad they loved it, because I loved it so much. It's a wonderful short, and it's got a real twisted sort of a vibe to it. I mean, you don't know where it's going. No, you really don't. It keeps you watching. You're like, what am I seeing? Right, and it keeps you engaged the entire length. It's not a brief short by any means. It's got a lot of story to it, and it keeps you engaged. And there's a couple of great twists in it, and the ending is brilliant. So congratulations to Illustre, congratulations to Anarchy Studios, congratulations to Paco Vink and Albert T. Hooft 
the directors for just a fantastic short and for winning the Bone Bat Film Fest Viewer's Choice Award for Best Short. What do they win, Steve? How many millions of dollars? They get a fantastic graphic designed by Gordon <laughs> that says... Yeah, you can't buy that with money, You man. cannot. The... You could try to make one yourself, but it wouldn't be made by Gordon, would it? That's right. Not at all. Okay, and then for our viewer's choice for live action short, none other than Bloody Cuts UK. Ah, oh, we Creators love those guys. Creators of such fantastic shorts as Suck of Blood. This year we played a couple of their one-off shorts as well, uh, Zombie Dating and Dead Dating. And uh, to announce that the winner for the live action short is Don't Move is an absolute thrill. It is a brilliant short. It hits on all cylinders. It is so smart. It, it keeps you guessing until the very last second. I had to watch it like twice the first time I saw it just to get everything in there. And wow, what an amazing, amazing short. Thank you so much again to Bloody Cuts for sharing their work with us. I actually have an interview with the producer, Ben Franklin, which I will play shortly. And you will get to hear us announce with him that his short one, which was pretty darn cool. So, yeah, <laughs> very proud. Yeah, oh, that was great. That was one of those where we really didn't have any discussion about if that was going to be in the film festival. It was just a question of what time we were going to play it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there there are some films that are like that. Uh, Damien McCarthy's How Olin Lost His Eye. You know, when, when he comes out with a new short, it, there, there are some folks that kind of seem to just be on our wavelength. And there are things that we're a sucker for. We're a sucker for a twist. We are a sucker for a series. We like that. We like to show something that kind of builds over the uh, length of the film festival. And we're a sucker for something that's well executed. Yes. And if it is darkly violent, (laughs) oftentimes will uh, pique our interest. Sure. So here we go. We're giving you a blueprint on how to get your film included in the Bone Bat Film Festival. Uh, again, I'd like to thank Beefy and Kyle Stevens from Kirby Crackle for putting on wonderful performances. The music I thought this year was just great. It was such a thrill to have them. Beefy had a tough set. We had some sound problems at the start. He and uh, through like a professional, though. He was amazing. He did, and he closed strong. Five, six, just really great cuts, and it was too much fun. And then... Of course, the features, Love Bite and Hellbenders, I think were both really well received. Yeah, I think so. And actually, Seattle Geekly was there and documented the whole thing. And uh, you can listen to them talk for about 10 minutes on their latest episode of their podcast. So you should check that out and see what they had to say. I think they liked it. Finally, uh, if you had a great time at the film festival, didn't get enough, but you can't wait until whenever we get around to doing this again. Crypticon 2014, Memorial Day weekend at the Hilton in Seattle. Uh, We are doing what we've done previously, which is a two-hour block of the best of the Bone Bat Film Festival. We will be giving an encore screening to our top viewer's choice vote-getters, which were Life Tutorials, both Serial Killer and How to Mock Death from Victor Droulet and Norman Django, Sergi Marti's Division Azul, the Elaborate End of Robert Ebb, directed by Clement Bola, FX Gobi, and Matt Landauer. Ghost from Jay Oscura Najera and Guillaume Sands. Air Conditions from Ryan Oliver. Hell No from Joe Nicolosi. The aforementioned Dirty Birdie. 
fourth rule of gremlins from Zoran Giovic and lowcarbcomedy.com. Damian McCarthy's How Olin Lost His Eye. All You Need from JB. And, of course, our winners, Little Quentin, directed by Albert T. Hooft and Paco Vink. And Don't Move, directed by Anthony Melton for Bloody Cuts UK. Great stuff all. Plus, I'll probably stick in a few surprise favorites of my own as well. And this year, something extra special. Following that, I will be there hosting a screening of a film called Bloodsucker Jones. Oh, yeah. Which is You're just a hilarious vampsploitation comedy. I guess. Vamps, that's what it is. It's vampsploitation. We couldn't quite fit it into our film festival this year, but I was looking for an excuse to be able to screen this, and Crypticon is the perfect place. So a late-night showing of Justin R. Mayo's Bloodsucker Jones is going to be fantastic good time. And then Saturday morning cartoons once again. And... I spoke with John Dilworth, the creator of Dirty Birdie, and we are going to give his new Courage the Cowardly Dog digitally animated short its Seattle premiere in our Saturday morning cartoon block. All right. How cool is that? That's cool. Plus, you're going to get to see Dirty Birdie again because it came in like second in voting. A film that old still crushing it with the audience. That was so neat to see. Yeah, I love that people love that. It really is a perfect cartoon. Absolutely. Come on down to Crypticon and join us and uh, see some more great films. You will not be disappointed, I promise. So, uh, one more tune? Yeah, how about another tune? These things are so short, we can fit a bunch of them in. Absolutely. Well, how about I've Got News For You from their self-titled album, Off. All right. Once again, that was I've Got News For You from 2012's Off, the self-titled debut. And joining us now on the show, no less, in my opinion, than a punk rock legend, founding member of Black Flag, founding member of the Circle Jerks, and founding member of Off. Welcome to the show, Keith Morris. How you doing, man? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm sitting here in uh, the weather here in L.A. is kind of brutal. We're going to go through about three or four days where it's going to be in the mid-90s. <laughs> and I, I don't want to be a whiner or a complainer. Just got off a tour, um, picked up something coming out of the Rockies. Oh. Uh, I'm a diabetic, so that makes me susceptible to whatever garbage is in the air. And I picked up this thing that uh, our guitar player actually got it, too. It feels like uh, I, I could be conversing with you, and then all of a sudden... Uh, somebody has taken a monkey wrench to my Adam's apple. Oh, damn. And I don't mean like just like whacking me in the throat with it. I mean like taking it and clamping it down on my Adam's apple. So <laughs> I got that going on. But otherwise, I'm pretty happy. I'm enjoying life. The tour's been, we, we break it up in legs because we can only go out for two or three weeks at a time. 
because we have three dads with four kids, three wives, a girlfriend, and uh, a couple of the other guys. Uh, between the two of them, they're in about eight other bands. <laughs> right. As fathers ourselves, uh, myself and Gord, the uh, co-host of the show, we understand how that is. You got to kind of work your projects judiciously. And uh, we know that we don't get to spend a lot of time together, so we have to pack in as much action and adventure into a two-week, two-and-a-half-week period as we can. It's like a, a barrel of monkeys on four wheels pulling a trailer, going from, well, we don't really go from town to town. We just don't have the time to, we get a lot of people that complain about, why aren't you going to come over here and play, or how come you can't come to Mobile, Alabama, or why aren't you going to play Little Rock, Arkansas, or uh, how come you're not playing Washington, D.C. on this tour, you're not playing Cleveland, or it's just, we're not the new young kids in the in, in the brand new van going from town to town, city to city. We can't do that. We've already been through that. And it's right. like, we'll get to as many of these places as we can, but it's just not possible for us to be able to do that. There's too much stuff going on. Absolutely. Well, before we get into off hardcore, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, one of your older projects. Uh, my best friend Gordon and I, the co-host of the show, we grew up together in Northern California. And at the time, I was kind of the metalhead and he was the one who was into punk rock and new wave. And so I would share something like Metallica with him, and he would bring to me stuff like Dead Kennedys, Black Flag, DOA, and one album that blew my mind at the time, Wonderful by the Circle Jerks. It was like just an album we both had on constant rotation during 1985 when it hit. My situation was that one of my best friends was Juan, who was the bass player in Rat. Oh, and I would hang out with yeah. him, and he would play Motorhead, and I would be, uh, you know, I, I've always been a Motorhead fan, and I, I would play the Ramones, and he would laugh, and we would have a good time, and, you know, I grew up w with a lot of those guys like Don Dawkin and Bobby Blotzer, who was the drummer in Rat, and, mm -hmm. you know, there were, uh, in my community, there were a, a lot of guys like that. There weren't a lot of punk rocks, but there were a lot of metalheads. Well, what was it about punk rock that kind of grabbed you early on and made you say, that's going to be my music right there? Well, it was just different from all of the other stuff that I was listening to. Or you, you would go into a record store, and the first thing that you would see on display would be the new REO Speedwagon album. And yeah, it's like, totally. I'm, I'm not going there. <laughs> I, I don't dig that. That's mediocre at best. You know, why do I want to listen to that when I could listen to Mott the Hoople or the MC5 or... Even Ted Nugent, as much of a dick as Ted Nugent is, his Amboy Dukes and his first couple of solo records are actually fun records, loud records, obnoxious records. You know, and that was the kind of stuff that I was looking for. I didn't want to hear all of the nice, neat, everything put in its place, everything being tucked into its little groove what you would hear on the radio. I grew up in a community where the big deal was you would go out on Friday night to a bar and you would see a band playing Fleetwood Mac and the Doobie Brothers, and it's like, later on to that. <laughs> and I'm not dissing those bands. It's just, I don't have time for that. I don't want to listen to that. Right. That stuff doesn't move me. There's nothing cool about any of that, except for uh, Peter Green's Fleetwood Mac, which is some pretty amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that one of the first tunes that Gord played for me was 15 Minutes. That fat bass line kicks in, 
And then all hell breaks loose in that tune. And I think, I was just like, fuck, that song is amazing. And that was what caught me about the Circle Jerks. And then uh, Wonderful and Firebow. Now, that was a song I wanted to ask you about. Now, I always used to gas up on I-5 like along Patterson or Firebow. Is that a true story in that song? What made you write that? That happened to Xander. Did it really? Just another broken heart for Snake. Xander Schloss, <laughs> our friend from uh, Repo Man. Uh-huh. Kevin singing Feeling 7-Up in Repo Man. Yeah, sure. Rather than uh, go on about the Circle Jerks, I'd like to take this opportunity to, to thank them for presenting me with the opportunity to, to play it off. Because my last four years have been nothing but a whirlwind of just really amazingly great things. Let's jump to that. How did Off come together? Dimitri and I pretty much took it upon ourselves to write what was supposed to be the new Circle Jerks album because the other guys were too busy doing other things. Mm -hmm. Dimitri took it upon himself to crack the whip. When we did get in a room and we started to work on songs, the songs were pretty mediocre at best. And... I knew where it was going, and in the proceedings, I had to sit down with Dimitri and say, look, we have to prepare ourselves for the opportunity to create something different because these guys are going to make all of this go away, and, and I'm not willing to have put in the, the hard work that I put in to have written the, these songs that I feel are probably some of the best stuff that I've been a part of. I'm not going to see this stuff disappear. I'm not going to see some kind of behind-the-back swoop, removing this from us and turning it into something else. Right. When I first heard of the band, and I heard that Stephen McDonald from Red Cross was playing in it and Mario Rubalcaba from Rocket from the Crypt was going to be in it. I was like, oh, that's a band I need to check out. And, man, it did not disappoint. I mean, the songs are just short, sharp, exclamations of rage, vicious riffing. They should be delivered in a clip, not in a CD, man. I don't know how to respond to that one. <laughs> a clip? Like bullets uh, from it, a gun, man. Bang, bang, bang. Great tunes. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I guess I want to ask, uh, as a songwriter, you are a pissed-off young man. Clearly, you're still pissed off. Are you pissed off about the same things, or does it piss you off that there's always something new to be pissed off about? Well, we're living in a world that is brutally unfair, and watching some of the events and what's happening with the political system and the small percentage of people who are now in charge of making decisions that, that affect millions and millions of people. I just I think that it's very unfair. I think it's uncool. And why wouldn't you be pissed off? Are you just unaware of what's going on? You know, and what about all of those people that just don't care? What about all of these people that are just so busy that they've been forced into a situation where they've got to work two or three jobs just to keep a house and clothes and food in their family's mouths? They're so busy and they're so beaten down that they don't know where else to go. They don't know that there might be other alternatives. Maybe if all of us rose up together and said enough of this bullshit, we could hammer away on all of these people that have created all of this crap that's going on in the world. Absolutely. Here in the United States. 
and off gives you an opportunity to rail against some of these injustices. That's badass. Oh, I, I, I rail against stuff like that. I rail against certain people, all sorts of stuff. So what is the, the process for songwriting currently in off? Does uh, Dimitri bring you the riffs, or do you collaborate on that, or how does it work? It's a collaboration. We hang out in my living room, and he blasts away on his guitar through a little martial practice amp. And as he's riffing away, if I hear something that I like, I point that out mm -hmm. and request that he continue on that path. And also, as he's whamming and bamming away and jamming away, I am writing stuff down to accompany the music. Okay. You know, wh whatever the music invokes in me, whatever it draws out of me. Well, I like how you guys are so self-contained. Like, I believe on the new album, uh, Dimitri produced it, Stephen recorded it, kind of DIY, just pulling the project together all on your own. Well, we keep it in-house because we've learned in the past that we know what we want to do. We know how we want to sound. You set up your equipment, you plug in, and you go. And we don't need anybody to get in between that we know what we want to do mm -hmm. and we don't really need any help i mean that the help that we need is in other areas well i think and that leads to an economy of power and message within the band that is communicated directly in the music that and the fact that we don't get to spend a lot of time around each other mm -hmm. so we have to do whatever we're going to do as quickly as possible. We don't have a lot of time to sit around, stand around, think about things. We've got to get in and we've got to do it. That gives it a sense so of we've, urgency. We've, we've got three dads in this band <laughs> with those responsibilities, right. with three wives. We don't have two months to work on an album. Right. We don't have a month to work on an album. Dimitri and I, we might set aside a couple of months to write songs for an album. We're certainly not going to get that amount of time out of Steven or out of Mario. Mm -hmm. They're playing in other bands. They've got all of their other responsibilities. Sure. We just don't have the time. Well, what would you say, Keith, to the critics who would say, Off is getting bloated. They're going prog. I mean, there wasn't a single song under a minute on this new album. I don't really think about that. <laughs> I'm kidding, uh, of course. They're critics. <laughs> critics get their music for free. Critics get their music sent to them by record labels and record companies. They don't really go out and buy new music. So to them, I say, hey, more power to you. Say whatever you want to say. It's all good. I'm not going to get worked up and freak out and develop a headache over that. Uh, that's just not how that is. Having played music for over 38 years, one develops a thick skin. One knows if you know you're going into combat, wear your bulletproof vest, wear your armor, bring a giant cannon. <laughs> All right, man. You guys are about to kick off a second leg of the current tour, correct? We start next week. Second leg that will bring us to all sorts of fun places. Las Vegas and Albuquerque, New Mexico, and 
the Bowery Ballroom in New York City, the Middle East in Boston, Massachusetts, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and a few other places. So you hear that, listeners? You're going to have a lot of opportunities to catch off in the next few months. So what's coming up next after that tour? Uh, will you guys just kind of keep doing that, or are you going to write other stuff, or what do you got going on? Well, Dimitri and I are planning on starting to work on our next record. Okay. We're seeing that far in the future that we're not going to wait until the last minute. See, that's normally how we work. We work backwards. We'll book the mastering date first. Mm-hmm. You know, what we'll do is we'll find out when the record label wants to release the music and when their due date is, and then set up a mastering date a week before that date. See, and mastering is normally the last part of the process, besides coming up with the artwork. Mm-hmm. And we always wait until the last minute to do that, too. <laughs> so maybe this record hopefully will be different and bum a lot of people out and uh, (laughs) make people think and maybe make some people change their thoughts towards the band. We can't really worry about any of that stuff. We just do what we do. Sure. We enjoy what we're doing. We don't have anybody breathing down our necks telling us, well, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. That's great. Well, one of the things I've been enjoying about the band, too, is the video work that you guys have been doing. Uh, You seem to have a lot of fun with that, matching these awesome tunes with uh, a bunch of your friends, you know, uh, Jack Black, Ron Babcock, Dave Foley, David Yao, Brian Posehn. Kind of reminds me of the days when, you know, videos were more of an event. Is that one of the benefits of being on a multimedia label like Vice? Um, We're fortunate to have some pretty amazing friends. And we, with some of these friends and some of these videos, we catch some flack. Like, why would you use him? Oh, he's horrible. Oh, he's terrible. He's not funny. Oh, he's too tall. He didn't brush his teeth this morning. How (laughs) many parts is hair on that side of his head? You know, it's just like people are constantly bitching, moaning, and griping. I mean, I guess that's just the times, you know, and that just comes with the territory. But we're fortunate. I mean, one of the guys you left out of the equation is my friend Jack Grisham, who is the lead. Oh, yes, of course. Yes, of Yes. We've also had Del Crover from the Melvins in one of our videos. Uh, we've had Danny Carey, the drummer from Tool, That's in fantastic. one of our videos. We're fortunate. We know a lot of cool people. We've been playing music for a long time. If you don't know a lot of cool people, then you've been doing something wrong. <laughs> That's true. As for the videos, our budgets are pathetically weak. And what I mean by that is we'll talk to a director Mm -hmm. and then the director takes it upon themselves to talk to all of the other people that are going to be involved. And basically it's everybody calling up favors. Oh, okay. Uh, What are you doing in three days? You want to be in a video? Here, we'll send you a link to the song. You can listen to the song. Uh, Here's what we want to do with the video. This is what we have as an idea as to what's going to go on in the video. Uh, This is who's directing the video. Um, We've already talked to a couple of our friends that are going to be in a couple of these scenes. And this is, I find, very strange. But when we shot the last video for Red, White, and Black, not only do we have Brian Hussain, Dave Foley, Del Crover, Jack Grisham, Danny Carey, 
thank us for asking them to be a part of the video. They thanked us. You know, That's it's great. like, well, thank you guys. I, I can't tell you thank you enough and how much we appreciate the fact that you guys would take some time out of your day to come and dress up and, and be under these hot lights and have the makeup and have the director tell you what to do. And the results speak for themselves. And everybody that was a part of it, they were all excited to be there. It was just, it was incredible, an amazing experience. Well, they look like they were a kick in the ass to shoot. It looks like you guys have fun. Very much so, yes, yes. All right, Keith. A lot of fun. Well, one last thing I wanted to ask you about before we get out of here is uh, Grand Theft Auto V. I played that game last year, and my favorite thing to do in that game was drag racing around Los Angeles at night while having Keith Morris spin punk rock tunes in my ear. That was an absolute blast and the best thing about that game. How did you get involved with Rockstar to do that? For years, I was opposed to that game because I had watched my roommate's seven-year-old son no, uh, really uh, run up a sidewalk and hit an old lady over the head with a pipe, Jeez. steal her purse, and then jump in the first car that was open and, and drive off shooting at people. And I, I wondered, where's the parenting here? Yeah, uh, sure. Why is this allowed to happen? This is brutal. This is not cool. There's nothing cool about this. When I sat down with the guy that brought me in to do the voiceover, Mm -hmm. that was the first question that I asked him. And he said, we have no control over what parents do with their kids. That's up to the parents and the kids. We do have control over the content in the game itself. And I'm going to show you some of these scenes, which he did. And he explained the scenes. Mm-hmm. And the, the whole thing is heavily drenched in sarcasm. Yeah, very much so. Um, now what we're doing is we're not shooting at the police. We're at war with another group of gangsters. We're at war with drug dealers. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's kind of cool. There's, there's something cool about that. He said, yes, we have no control over kids playing the game they're not supposed to be playing the game and it's up to whoever is supervising them to keep them from playing the game this is a game for adults who sit around eating donuts smoking (laughs) pot i don't know about that but (laughs) you know enjoy what they're doing right and it's like okay i'm not totally down with that but they had come to us, and when I say us, I mean uh, Dimitri Coates and I, mm. to compile a list of songs to play on the radio station. Right. And I thought, you know what? This is an opportunity for me to choose some songs by some bands that might not normally have the opportunity to be a part of something this big. And I didn't know how big Grand Theft Auto is. Mm-hmm. But the first weekend that it came out, it sold over a billion dollars worth of games, yep. units. I was at a get-together. It was my high school, was it 40 years? I think it was the 40-year class reunion. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting with one of my friends, and he said, you know what? I heard what I thought was your voice on Grand Theft Auto, and I'm looking at him going, this doesn't seem to be like one of the types of characters that would play that game, and he said, you know what, that's big, that's really big, 
It is, yeah. And he was just, that's kind of like, wow. I had another friend, uh, a guy named Ryan Adams, who is has nothing to do with punk rock, but loves black metal and heavy metal and hair metal and punk rock. He grew up skating to it. Uh, you'd listen to his music and he'd go, uh, no, I don't know. I... Uh, <laughs> He, he grew up listening to Black Flag and the Circle Jerks and Corrosion of Conformity and Minor Threat. Uh, no, I, I don't get that. He said his favorite thing to do, the, the first weekend he had it, he got stoned, and he stole a big 16-wheeler. <laughs> and he said he drove it as far as he could until it ran out of gas. <laughs> and he said he was somewhere near, it could have been like, northern oregon or somewhere in washington he said it was kind of like being in a forest being in this big truck in a forest he (laughs) said i don't need to steal helicopters and shoot at the police and shoot at drug dealers i just like to pick out these weird things and do them on this game because you're allowed to do that in the game so that really kind of piqued my attention i was like wow that's cool that's interesting Okay. Well, the playlist you picked was just magnificent. I mean, listening to The Descendants again, listening to Suicidal Tendencies, uh, Black Flag, Agent Orange, just great stuff, man. You did a good job on that. Well, thank you. All right. Well, uh, last question I'll ask you. We ask all of our guests here on The Bone Bat Show. Keith, what pisses you off? Uh, There's a lot of things that piss me off. I live right behind one of the busiest intersections in Los Angeles, in Southern California. Sunset Boulevard, where Hollywood Boulevard starts on the East End. Mm -hmm. And there's always some kind of constant commotion, cars. I'm looking at three separate hospitals, and I know that two of them have helipads, so there's a constant flow of emergency helicopters. I live right around the corner from a fire station. So there is a siren in the background. And then you have all of your uptight, irate, bummed out, cooler than you. Don't mess with me. Don't cut me off because I've got a gun under my front seat. Drivers. (laughs) You know, all of that kind of stuff. Now let's add to that the supermarket across the street where we have the constant production line of, I want to say zombies, listless, almost lifeless people. They live their lives. They get up and they go to work. And then they leave work and they go to the supermarket to buy food. Then they go home, make food, watch TV, do whatever they're going to do, go to sleep, wake up the next morning and do all of that all over again or interspersed with maybe going out and maybe living a little bit of life not really paying attention to a lot of the things that are going on around them now i can't speak for everybody out there but i've seen people standing in front of the supermarket asking people to register to vote or sign a petition that you keep your fingers crossed and hope that enough people sign it to maybe change something. Mm -hmm. But these people, it it just seems to be there's a pattern and it's not a good pattern. 
these people look like they're beaten down and they're oppressed and they're pushed and prodded and kicked into their place, their slot, their groove, their cubicle, they're placed in a place, oh, wow, there's a fire up the street. Wow. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> they're maybe living a life where they're attached to, we had a guy run for president and his campaign thing was hope. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sounded and, and good at the we, time. We, we've seen where that's got us because yeah. we just voted in another guy who is just as tied into the corporations as anybody else. Yep. Gives a good speech. Everybody goes, wow, and I'm going to vote for him because he's very intelligent. And then at the end of the day, we're going to see the XL pipeline running through the United States from Canada into Texas. It's almost inevitable. We see that the ex-head of Monsanto become the guy who's in charge of all of our food. And, yeah. You know, it's just this constant line of garbage that's going on. That's what makes me angry. The fix is in. Yeah, I know what you mean. That's why we need off, man. We need that wake-up call to get the zombies going. Open some eyes, maybe. I would hope so. Oh, there's that word, hope. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you again, man, for joining us on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us a little bit about the band Off. We're going to play a few more cuts during the show. Why don't you tell us about this next one? The next one, uh, I am bummed out about this immigration thing that we've got going on here in the United States because all of a sudden we've developed this culture of these paranoid Caucasians. It's like Caucasian karma. All of these white people, well, they're not supposed to be here. It's about us that have no grasp of North American history. Yeah. And don't realize that there were people here before us. Right. That is pretty much what red, white, and black equates to. You know, the red, white, and black were the colors of Nazi Germany. We will eliminate all of the people that we feel are the ones that create our problems. Thus, they exterminated or tried to rid the world of all of the Jews, which was not going to happen. But they managed to eliminate a large amount of that population of the world. I'm on Facebook, and I continually see all of this pro-Israel, pro-Jew stuff. And that's all fine and wonderful. I'm not buying into that. I'm a half-Jew. I'm a Goldstein. Uh, that's a story for a later time, but I don't buy into it. Oh, woe is us. We're the group that the Germans tried to eliminate. And a lot of people, not knowing world history, overlook the fact that Stalin in Soviet Russia eliminated, I believe it was something like 10 million Jews. Russians, Stalin got close to 30 or 40. Now, I'm sure my figures are off by a few million, but just going down the line, Mao Zedong in China, he starved like 60 million Chinese. And they're still not even close in the race to how many people were removed by the Caucasians 
that took it upon themselves to come to North America and eliminating something like a hundred million people that were here before them. The Mohawk and the Iroquois, the Hopi, and the list goes on of all of the tribes of people that were here before there were any white people. All right, man. Well, let's check out the tune. This is Red, White, and Black. And once again, that was Red, White, and Black from the 2014 release, Wasted Years, by Off. Pick it up at offofficial.com or at a local music store near you. I got mine at Amazon. It was like nine bucks. And I was able to digitally download it instantly and have them send the, the CD to me. So I love that. That's that, like, great. worked pretty freaking smokingly well. So you got any weird shit this week, Gord? Yeah, you know... We're maybe sort of trying to make the political rant transition to more of a weird stuff in the news. And and if I feel the, the urge to rant or to point something out politically, I will. So, But, but we're kind of moving in that direction. So what I really don't want to do is talk to you about how a Republican candidate in the South, who was, of course, anti-gay marriage, was just outed as a drag queen. So we're definitely not going to talk about... Mr. Steve Wiles, a.k.a. Miss Mona Sinclair, getting outed as a drag queen while he's trying to get elected on the conservative Republican ticket in the South because we're doing something else now. But that's still pretty damn funny. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. Are you saying that you can't be straight and be a cross-dressing chanteuse? Oh, I sure you can. (laughs) Just Just because one dresses in women's clothing or MCs. An event where people are dressing in women's clothing while you yourself dress in women's clothing for a mere six to eight years of your life doesn't necessarily mean that you're anything but straight and narrow. (laughs) But if you're running on the Republican ticket in the South, (laughs) odds are. But he did say he stopped doing that because of his strong Christian beliefs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, people, come on. 
Anyway, no, I'm not talking about that. What I want to talk about is something that has affected us all from time to time. Someone has come out with a new pill to uh, treat constipation. And this pill is not a, it, it doesn't affect you chemically. It's a step back about 100 years. It's supposed to uh, affect you physically. It works by getting into your guts and then vibrating its way through. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah, you swallow this <laughs> pill and it's just this inert lump, I guess, for, they say, six to eight hours. And then it switches on and it just starts vibrating. And they figure that by doing so, it's supposed to emulate the peristaltic waves that go through your intestines and try to push things along. And I don't know how a vibrating pill emulates peristaltic. I can't even say it. That thing I said once before, squeezy-queezy type wavy-wavies in your guts. I don't know how that's supposed to work, but it's supposed to... uh, Bounce along and sort of uh, roto-rooter its way through, and I guess <laughs> everything's supposed to flow after. I just can't help but think that there's going to be a problem with someone with this pill, like getting stuck in a Homeland Security checkpoint at the airport. <laughs> all right. And what happens if this thing makes noise? There's just all kinds of things that can go wrong. You don't, Do you really want to be sitting in a meeting and all of a sudden have the sound of your phone going off on vibrate, but you're not carrying your phone? <laughs> it's only a better time until somebody sticks one in their penis. <laughs> oh, oh, Lord. Why did you say that? You're terrible. Because of the rope toe Chinese I, man yes. last episode. That's why. Because people think of weird shit to do with their penises. I guess they do. And really, I, I, you're supposed to swallow this and it's supposed to go from north to south. But I, I'm sure <laughs> that someone will try to make it go south to north. Well, is that way if you like wore uh, the boots? Oh, your gravity boots? Gravity boots, yeah. You wear gravity yeah, like, boots, hang upside down while you got one of these inside you. I suppose that would be a faster way to become unconstipated. It would be a shorter <laughs> distance to the <laughs> Oh, you're saying the clog. you insert it while you're in the gravity boots. Maybe so. <laughs> the mind reels. Science, it's not for everyone. It reminds me of the book I was reading not all that long ago about the digestive system and all these really terrible ideas they had for trying to cure constipation. And one of them was you were supposed to swallow like these uh, lead weights, these ball bearings, with the idea that they'd be heavy enough to sort of push through with gravity, which I guess would work if your guts were just a straight pipe. But, you know, there's some up and down and side to side that goes on. I don't know. Why wouldn't you just have like a cup of coffee and go for a walk? Wouldn't that do it? Or ride a horse. I don't know. I've never been so bound up that I thought, yeah. God, if only there was a vibrating pill I could swallow right about now. I'm telling you, have a bowl of grape nuts and some coffee and go for you a pour walk. the coffee You'll in the fine. grape nuts? No, no, no. Separate. Same time, though. You, I'm sorry. Grape fun. nuts is just something. It's you'll like eating fun. a bowl of gravel. <laughs> They're crispy and crunchy if you don't let them get soggy. That's kind of nasty when they get soggy. There's nothing yeah, worse. Well, it's, it's either gravel or it's mush. That's, it that's it turns into cereal. like puked up cat food. If you don't eat it quickly. But, uh, yeah, I I don't mind a grape nut now and again. <laughs> One individual grape nut? Yes, yeah, exactly. That is pretty weird. Once yeah. again, you've uh, found something strange and bizarre that I would not have expected. That's what I'm here for, man. <laughs> All right, dude, how about another tune? 
How about it? Another one off Wasted Years. This is Exercised. Once again, that was exercised off the brand new album, Wasted Years, by Off. And joining me now, for the first time, I am so happy to talk to him, the executive producer of Bloody Cuts UK, Ben Franklin. How you doing, man? I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me to talk. Oh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Now, I've been a fan of your stuff since I stumbled across a little thing called Suck of Blood last year. And just immediately fell in love with that short. And I just love the fact that Bloody Cuts UK, there's this house that is making awesome shorts consistently that is currently working. You guys are like the hammer of shorts, man. <laughs> wow, that, that, thank you. That's that's compliment indeed. I mean, yeah, we've obviously been working at it now for uh, you know two or three years, and it's been something that started off as a kind of a bit of a pet project, something which we hope to build an audience with in some small way. And it's really kind of grown into a bit of a monster, really. I mean, you know, there's always ways that you can grow bigger with these things, but we've got a really great, dedicated little audience, really, that likes to keep coming back and seeing what we're doing. And it's been really fantastic to know that. Not only is the stuff kind of being made for horror fans and you know people all over the world are enjoying them. You know, there's no horror travels very well, um, so it doesn't matter where you tend to play it. There's certain things that people just pick up on, and um, it's yeah, those... fantastic to hear that that you guys are obviously really enjoying it. And you know, you came in at a good point through Sucker Blood, and hopefully, <laughs> you found your way navigating through many different shorts that we've done, and hopefully, enjoyed those in in some small way as well. Absolutely. Well, one of the reasons why I have you here today is that your short, Don't Move, which we just featured at our fourth Comedy of Horrors Film Fest, won the Viewer's Choice Award for Best Live Action Short. So congratulations, Ben. Well, that's obviously amazing news. Thank you. I mean, you know, it's great to know that people are watching the film and the festival and enjoying it against everything else there. And to to vote at best, obviously, that's a big honor, knowing that there were some really good quality films playing. So... Thank you to obviously everybody who, who voted for us. Such a shame we couldn't be there. I mean, I think that at some point in the future, hopefully if we go on to be doing bigger and better things, that there'll be a time when we can tour around your way and um, you know join in on the festival and actually be there to witness 
hopefully some of our stuff playing and obviously get to meet those horror fans that are coming out every single year to the festival. Well, I certainly hope so. Now, for those horror fans who might be listening right now, give us a little bit about how Bloody Cuts got started. Well, we um, did a sci-fi short in 2011, which was for a uh, 48-hour film challenge. We've recently done it again, and uh, it was really good to kind of revisit that kind of filmmaking. But in essence, it was seeing what we could do within a a weekend of filmmaking. We kind of realized, actually, it wasn't that hard to go out there and make a film and actually to do a good job of it. If you've got the right people around and you've got the access to the equipment, then, you know, it was only down to our own motivations or lack of to go out there and do more of that type of thing. So I kind of concocted the idea initially of doing uh, horror shorts because I'm a big horror fan first and foremost, but equally having been um, into things like Tales from the Crypt and Twilight Zone from a young age, I was always a big fan of anthology series. So I thought, why make one horror short when we can do a series of them and then we can build an audience and hopefully see where that takes us and gives us uh, opportunities to improve, um, to keep doing you know more of that type of thing, but showing something different each time as well. You know, testing ourselves, different types of uh, filmmaking techniques, different types of stories, uh, and always surprising people. And so we set about making this, this series of shorts fortunately found an audience and then you know went on from there and every single time uh, the audience grows and you know people keep coming back for more and hopefully they're seeing more and more each time as well and it's been a really great experience we're about two or three years into doing it now and i think that that will continue but it's been a really amazing jumping off point for us now to hopefully go on to doing features potentially oh that would be amazing Well, I really like the fact that you guys can embrace different styles. Like, you might have one that is more of a 70s outdoor horror type of a pastiche. And then Suck of Blood, which is such an atmospheric, gothic, nursery rhyme type of a thing. But that quality is always there. It's that really high level of quality amongst acting, effects, practical effects specifically, film work. Just the way you guys put things together, I'm really thrilled to be able to have a forum where I can present some of your stuff. I mean, that's that's the amazing thing that obviously we created these initially for the uh, online audience. We didn't really envision kind of going to festivals or, you know, it being seen outside of a YouTube uh, window. But the great thing is, is that it has been to a few festivals and, um, you know, you guys picked it up on it a couple of years back. And, you know, here we are now, um, you know, this time afterwards and you're still enjoying our stuff. And it's been really, you know, kind of amazing to see that people are enjoying the different things that we're doing. It's it's um, you got something you to say, like Sucker Blood, which is you know atmospheric it's kind of like a children's um you know uh, grim's fairy tale and then you've got something as you say like uh, dead man's lake which plays on you know, the slasher film um and Absolutely, they're, yeah. they're kind of they suit different tastes but the great thing is is that if you enjoy kind of uh, you know horror and people get to know that we don't always do things the way that you expect with you know the kind of the twist endings and the the things that will always try and throw you a little bit sideways Um, that people come back and they want to watch because they want to see where the story's going to go the next time and that's been a really good experience and you know we've always tried to 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 increase the production values to always do bigger and better it always comes down to storytelling in the end and um, the production values we hope that will pair up with that and make for a great package and um, yeah you know it's um, really good to hear that for example, that even the smaller things that we do, like the dead dating, which uh, you know we do for a bit of fun, you know, even those you know can play in front of an audience, and the audience experience always actually far surpasses anything that you can experience online. Because for us, reading comments is great. You know, we get to see that the films are being watched, but right. to sit with an audience and to hear them laugh or scream, you know, that's an amazing feeling. And I guess that's kind of cinema for us, you know, in its <laughs> purest form, is being with an audience and, and seeing the experience that they're having with it. 
Well, that's fun for us, too, as programmers. When you have a series like that, we're able to take something like, I think our first block featured zombie dating, and then our second block featured dead dating. So it's like you're sort of telling a tale, and these characters and styles keep popping up for our audience, and then you kind of hit them with something like Don't Move, which is just this glorious over-the-top short. That's really cool to be able to build into that as a programmer. Well, it's really unusual as well because we've played our films back to back at other festivals, but never has anybody said to us, "Can we play your dead dating films?" But well, we've always done um, little kind of special features and you know the bonus extras for the people who subscribe to us on YouTube. And um, obviously, when we did the Blu-ray recently as well, we um, also put some extra stuff on there. And we've done a series of the dead dating, you know, little pieces which we usually obviously just do on set. Uh, in between takes or to send someone off to do and um, sometimes they're a bit of a mixed bag but usually there's a few gags in them and it's great to find that for something which is mainly all improv well it's actually to be honest it's fully improv um, that it travels well and uh, yeah again you know at a comedy festival that um, hopefully had a few laughs as well so like I said they were done for a bit of fun they you know out of everything we've done they probably got some of the least amount of views but those who have seen them you know do tend to enjoy them and i think that it must be surprising for an audience to see those two back to back the first dead dating and the second one and then to the huge leap that is don't move and hopefully right. even in that sense even though you know, don't move is a is an all-out horror there are moments in that which people do laugh at and you know they, they were placed in there intentionally for people to enjoy whether it's um you know the, the character of sarah holding the wine bottle you know pretty much for 90% of the film in the kitchen. There's something quite, you know, kind of British about, about that kind of thing. And then there's also the, the ending itself, which for anybody who's seen it is, you know, it's gloriously over the top and graphic, but it's, um, it makes people laugh for some reason, you know? And I think that that's the fun thing with it is that you can enjoy yourself and scream your head off, but at the same time, you're kind of laughing through it too. And I think that's, that's, it's tense in the right moments, but it's also scary and enjoyable. And, you know, overall, it's just a, hopefully a fun experience. That's, of course, why we came to this particular niche for a film festival. As far as we know, there isn't another one in the world. But it's that buildup of fear and then the release of laughter, which to us is kind of a magical, rare thing. Hard to do right, but when you do, there is no feeling like that experience. Yeah, I think so. And I think that that's been the thing that when we went to the, the very first kind of screening with an audience, we weren't, you know, knowing what to expect with it. And the surprise was that even with um, with horror fans, you know, they, they were still surprised at that because it's not really something that's been seen, you know, I've, I personally haven't seen it done in that particular way. And I think that it's always great to come up with a kind of a more unique way of, of killing someone. Um, <laughs> but just to, to, to throw that in front of a horror audience, but also more importantly, a, a non-horror audience and for them to be sat within that, that audience and to not have any escape from the film and to throw that at them, I think, you know, that's, that's a lot of fun. I think, you know, as a filmmaker, you strive to split people through certain emotions and you know there's certain genres of film that that can enable you to do that but i'm not sure there's anything quite like horror that can throw you from left to right you know in such a, a moment as that so um, we have a lot of fun with that type of thing we obviously push to keep doing that more and more fantastic so right now as we speak you have what eight official shorts and then also the one-offs what is next for bloody cuts uk um, well, we just completed the um, obviously the competition, which was really good for us. But that was really something which kind of was more of a placeholder for us to allow us a bit more time. And we have been in a place where we've been um, kind of looking around to see where is the next step. And although the uh, the series will continue in some some way, 
Um, but at the minute, we're looking to where we can take us kind of storytelling and our production values to, to much bigger forum, and that obviously would be to, to bigger screens, to you know, to a worldwide audience in cinemas, and mm. that's really our focus now is looking at where we can where we can do that. And we've got a few things that um, are very very kind of like heavily under development with um, you know production companies and studios and stuff, and I think that we're getting ever closer to seeing the the kind of first bloody cuts movie and there's one of about five options that we've got at the minute so really it's which one of those comes through first and they're all at various stages but i think sooner than later we're going to be seeing um you know the big screen bloody cuts movie hopefully so (laughs) that's really exciting we've got uh, a tv series you know in the in the u.s which we're currently developing and it's all at different stages and it's all uh certain kind of you know lengths of feasibility but i think that it's uh, a really most exciting kind of stage for us now where, where you know we can see the second half of the year is going to get very busy making those things but for, first and foremost obviously we want to retain that audience so I, there will be more bloody cuts things along the way we haven't got anything actively ready to go just yet but okay. we can make things happen very quickly when we do so it's just uh now we've got the kind of the sci-fi short film we did um, a couple of weeks back out of the way we're now uh, looking at our options so in the next week or so anthony and i are going to be meeting up and then it's going to be looking at what phase two is of Bloody Cut. So, um, yeah, watch this space, I guess. Fantastic. Well, I cannot wait to see what you guys have next in the pipeline. And uh, thank you again for sharing your incredible work with us. Oh, no problem. And, you know, keep asking us back. We'll keep making them, hopefully. If there's an audience who wants to keep watching them, and um, <laughs> if we keep winning awards, then even more reasons to keep doing it. So, obviously, thanks again for showing the film, and thanks to everybody who watched it and enjoyed it and decided that it was worthy of an award. Oh, pleasure's ours, Ben. Pleasure's ours. Now, one last question. We always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. Ben, what pisses you off? Uh, well, uh, well, I, I can tell you what pisses me off today. Okay. Um, my car breaking down and costing me lots of money, unsuspectingly. Oh. That's never fun, uh, especially when you've got a week of long traveling to do and having to make last-minute arrangements. So... Um, the un- unpredictable cars and driving in general, uh, that, that pisses me off. <laughs> I don't blame you. That's brutal. All right, man. Well, thank you again for joining us on the show, and best of luck with Bloody Cuts. Thank you very much. This is Ben Franklin from Bloody Cuts, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. Once again, another tune from Off from their 2012 self-titled release. That was Feelings Were Meant to Be Hurt, which is a perfect segue into multimedia triage. Multimedia triage. We're your movies and books. We enjoy, and I criticize what Steve likes. Your movies and books all suck. Yours are lame. <laughs> there, I said it. So what have you been digging on this week, buddy? You know, I'm still in a media recovery, I guess. 
I'm digging Game of Thrones. Are you digging Game of Thrones? I'm enjoying Game of Thrones. Uh, they're kind of mixing it up a little bit from the books, but so far there's been nothing that like completely offended me, I don't think. No, there was pretty twisted, kind of rapey by the body of your dead son kind of scene a couple weeks back, but other than that, but I tell you, there there have been a couple times where I've been watching and I'm like, I don't remember this from the book, and then I'll go back and check, and yeah, sure enough, it wasn't in the book, so I feel good about that. Yeah, they've been taking a few liberties. There was a scene uh, that's not in the books, spoiler alert, where uh, Jon Snow's got to go to Craster's Keep north of the wall to uh, dislodge some errant black brothers. Yeah, th- this is what I was talking about. I was watching it. Like, and, I have uh, no recollection of it. A review I read described it as like a Grand Theft Westeros bloody side story that you had. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like the perfect, you know, it didn't really take away anything from the story. It didn't change the way things will end. But it was like this little side mission that you had to do. <laughs> right. That was a perfect description. Yeah, no, but the things that they have maybe gone off the page a little bit have really been for the most part, fleshing out the story. Mm-hmm. What with the White Walkers and Joffrey's assassination and all. So, yeah, it's good. Good that, stuff. That and removing things that were gray areas of the books. Like, Martin doesn't always want to tell you things right out. And I kind of miss that. I, I don't necessarily need you to come, yes, it was me. I killed him. I did it. Really? I, I don't know if that's necessary. You could have left it a gray area for a little longer. Yeah, I suppose. I'm, I'm not offended by it at all. That didn't offend me, but I don't know that it was necessary. Like, somebody in a writer's room somewhere was like, we need to clarify this. You know, trust your audience to be intelligent. That's what I think. Well, as much as I like the George R. R. Martin books, I think that you really could use an editor. They do need some tightening up. And, and it seems to me like this is a light touch editor that's doing his or her job. Yeah, maybe, but the one thing is that they don't talk nearly enough in the show about exactly what everybody's eating all the time. Right. <laughs> I think Where that, is the detailed accounts of the menu of every meal? Yeah, that's, that is totally left out in the show, and I miss that. Nor do they spell out in incredible detail, probably because you're supposed to see it, what everyone is wearing. <laughs> right. Well, uh... Another show that just wrapped up for this season, uh, Vikings on the History Channel, it ended in a fantastic Godfather-esque episode where Ragnar Lothbrok basically cleaned out all the old business. It was fucking great. So if you're not caught up on Vikings, go check it out, man. Good shit. All right. Yeah, I've got to start watching that show. You know, I watched based... A lot on your recommendation. I watched uh, Captain America Winter Soldier. Yes. And it was good. I liked it. I was a little worried. But no, nothing to worry about. That's a good show. If you're someone out there that likes maybe what I like and maybe not quite so much what Steve likes, go forth. You will not be disappointed. Fun, fun movie. I think it, it works as kind of like a spy movie apart from being a comic book movie. If you don't like superhero movies, you still might dig this. Yeah, and I liked that uh, it was a really smart movie. I I expected it just to be sort of a a fun romp. I didn't realize it was going to have that much uh, brains to it. It was a neat thinker of a plot. I liked it a lot. Yeah, well, and, you know, why don't we compare that to another new movie I saw this week, Amazing Spider-Man 2. Okay, 
Now, I have not seen this movie. I enjoyed, Should I see this movie? Well, you know, I'll tell you. Tell me. I enjoyed the first one quite a bit. I thought that uh, Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker and Spider-Man was charming. Emma Stone is pretty hot and fun to watch as Gwen Stacy. And uh, last time the lizard was the villain. This time they mixed it up a little bit. And the villains, they had multiple villains. So you've got a little green goblin. You've got the rhino in a very minor part. And you've got Electro, which is kind of the main villain of the story. But the movie starts with like this 10-minute action sequence to get you in the film that has nothing to do with Spider-Man at all, but it's like this chase-around scene for Peter Parker's father, who is dead, and you've never met him. I was going to say, isn't he dead? Right, and if it's not Aunt May and Uncle Ben, really, who gives a fuck, right? I don't. Yeah, it's not at all really that cogent to what's going on with Spider-Man. If you go to a Spider-Man movie, you want to see... Spider-Man kicking villains' asses and swinging around the city. That's what you want to see. And it just seemed like there are these scenes, and they're long and they're drawn out. They're talking about, like, Harry Osborn, or they're talking about Peter Parker's father. He's trying to unravel the mystery. In Captain America, some of that stuff actually worked. But in this film, it did not, and it made it boring. And you just kind of didn't want to see that. And at the same time, it felt like, underwritten because they didn't explain a lot of the stuff that they should have to get you to the point and overstuffed because i mean there's three fucking villains in the movie who needs three villains in a spider-man movie maybe one villain should be enough yeah and then maybe segue into the next one as you're going out because that's what your next movie is going to be and then on top of it again green goblin looked fucking stupid he (laughs) was wearing like halo armor and had weird wispy hair and his face was all like painted motley i don't know it was shitty and i mean i never thought i'd look back at willem defoe's green goblin and say hey that was a pretty good green goblin in retrospect because i thought his costume was shitty then and then they had james franco when he took over in spider-man 3 of the raimi films and he was like extreme gobbo right so right. He's, he's like flying on a fucking snowboard which was just again really stupid and then finally, you get to this one, and it's every bit as bad. Rhino is wearing this dumb mech armor that just, it looked bad. Electro was pretty cool. He was the best villain. He looked neat, and they got a good battle in. And there's a scene that is a classic instrumental scene in the Spider-Man comics that is handled super well. You feel it like a punch to the gut. And it took the whole film to get there two hours and 15 minutes, but it really paid off well. So it's got really strong moments, but on the whole, the film was kind of a mess. And I mean, they didn't even do the Okay. Spoiler alert again. You know how in Captain America at the end, they've got like the little extra scene in the credits. Yeah. And then they had like another little extra scene. And so like one kind of ties into the film you just watched. And the other one is kind of maybe a, a segue into the next film. That's the way, in my opinion now, those things should be done. The Spider-Man movie basically showed like a three-minute commercial for the X-Men movie that comes out in two weeks. In the middle oh, of fucking man. credits. Are you... Really? That's what you do? It was terrible, dude. That pissed me off. So <laughs> That is too bad. Yeah, I just thought, you know, not good. And I, I think the, the takeaway for me is that, I mean, this was a Sony film. I think that Marvel needs to get all its licenses back in-house stacked. Because they're doing the best job, 
I think that Hollywood has kind of shown over time that they don't get how to do a comic book movie right. And to me, the most important thing is story, story, story. I don't care who, what actor is the new hotness. I don't care about packing extra villains in because Happy Meals. I right. don't give a shit about all these extra factors. We've got video game CGI. Let's use that. No. Stick with the stories that are classics, that are fantastic stories that we would like to see on the screen. That's what you should be doing in a comic book movie. Marvel gets that. I don't know that anybody else in Hollywood does. A couple of good Dark Knight films happened when a fan like Christopher Nolan actually gets to helm a few of them. But for the most part, they're shitty. Wow. Hey, speaking of bitterly disappointing. Yes. I watched a movie that I realized was going to be a bad movie, but I, I thought it was going to be bad in a wonderful way. I watched uh, Knights of Bad Astem. Yeah. And no, it's just a bad movie. Oh, I'm so disappointed to hear that. Yeah, it's got it's got uh, Steve Zahn in it. It's got Peter Dinklage. It's got Summer Glau. How can you go wrong? It's even got that that blonde uh, dumb guy from the Suki vampire. What's his name? Ryan Quantin. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, maybe. He's the the total eye candy for the ladies. But uh, God, it was just a sort of a movie that. It never really went anywhere. It never really took off and got fun. I watched it all the way to the end. There were a couple of, of chuckles in the beginning and a couple at the end. And when it was all over, I just went, damn, I wish I would have just never watched that movie and enjoyed looking forward to it instead. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. So just kind of a wasted opportunity, huh? Yeah, it just, it should have been. It should have been a blast, and it wasn't. But was it the writing? The idea is that the... Uh, there's a group of friends that are LARPers, okay. right? They, they dress up. They, they do live-action Dungeons & Dragons. They go out and, and whack each other with Nerf swords in costume and character. And over the course of one of these weekends, they accidentally summon a demon and have to fight the demon who's going around and killing people for realsies. Okay. And then, of course, you have the big showdown between all these people in armor and actually getting to fight real honest-to-God demons and whatnot. And it just it was really never all that fun. Sad oh. trombone. So, that was a film I was looking forward to. Yeah, same here. And it took forever to get it on Netflix. I finally got the physical disc here. And like the day that I got the disc, Xbox Live goes, bloop, watch it on Xbox Live for free. <laughs> oh, seriously? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. What a bummer. Yeah, that was my Spider-Man. My, my Spider-Man, not Spider-Ban. I'm not sure what that is. Hey, speaking of comic books, did you go to Free Comic Book Day? I didn't, but I did go see Captain America that day. Oh, well, why didn't you didn't take your boys to get free comics, dude? I come on. I, you man. know, honestly, I completely. I took my boys to go see Captain America. Yeah. We went out. and We had a good day together. We got junk food. We did that. There was some donuts involved. We we spent the day together having a good time, and I just absolutely spaced that. And I I realize I'm a bad human being for it. I can't believe you left free comic books on the table, man. That's brutal. And we were mere blocks away from the comic book store, too. <laughs> it was a failure on my part. I will email you next year and remind you. Thank you. Thank you for that. You know, there is a free comic book day page on Facebook, too, which uh, if you follow that, they will remind you themselves. I was not online on, on it was a Saturday, and I was not online at all. So. Yeah, I, uh, because Corner Comics in Kirkland is uh, one of the sponsors of the Film Fest, we stopped by there and picked up some stuff, so that was pretty fun. 
Oh, that's cool. So you go to one of our sponsors for free stuff. Absolutely. Okay, perfect. Why wouldn't you? No, you should. <laughs> oh, I should mention, uh, I did finish a book this week. Really? Yeah. My Words friend, and everything? My friend Josh had lent me a copy of Warm Bodies, like, a long time ago. The book by uh, Isaac Marion. I think when we went and saw the film. And uh, I finally found it again. I needed to get that book back to him, and so <laughs> I read it. And I actually liked it better than the movie. The movie, they kind of cleaned it up into a nice, pat, little romantic comedy type of a thing. Mm-hmm. And the uh, book itself is a lot darker and a lot more fucked up. Like the, the Of course, it, there's the schism between like the zombies who have kind of lost the understanding of what life is, understandably enough. And the the humans who are trying to fight the zombies and the society that they each create kind of mirrors each other. For instance, in the book, there's a scene in the airport where the uh, zombies have made like this big pen out of uh, disused luggage and they'll throw living people in there with the kid zombies to train them how to kill. Oh, jeez. At the same time, the humans are... Like sending their kids in armor into an arena to fight like wounded zombies to teach them how to kill. <laughs> so it just it has like this back and forth between the characters that I really enjoyed. A little bit more fucked up, a little bit more fun. It's only a couple hundred pages, so it's a really brisk read. I would definitely say check it out. I enjoyed it more than the movie. All right. And thanks to Josh. I'm sorry for taking so long. I will get this back to you right away. Yeah, you did. I know, it's terrible of me. That's the thing, when people lend me stuff, I it's terrible because I always have so much media around on my own that I want to consume that when people are really nice and they're like, here, I want to lend you this, I invariably have a pile of stuff that I'm already working on. So I guess the lesson is don't lend me shit. No, no, don't lend Steve anything. <laughs> Unless I beg you for it, in which case, because otherwise it's going to take me forever to get to it. I've got too many CDs, too many books, too many movies, too many video games to catch up with as is. That's the takeaway, I think. I always feel bad when someone tries to lend me something and I'm like, no, no, don't. I I know you think I'm going to like this and I probably would, but I have way too much stuff right now. I know I'm not going to get to this thing that you're trying to get me to enjoy for like a year or so. Stop. Right. And it's just going to result in guilt. Yeah. And then I'm going to feel bad that I haven't and... Yeah, way too much guilt. I've got enough (laughs) guilt as it is. All right, well, why don't we uh, listen to another tune? Okay. Again, from the first four EPs, much like our multimedia triage, this is full of shit. Once again, that was Full of Shit by Off. You can find their stuff at offofficial.com. Check it out. I think that's about it, dude. Um, Do a few thank yous. Uh, Of course, I'd like to thank the one other thing we failed to mention is uh, you heard it here. Our new remixed original OG theme song uh, remixed by Bill Beats kicked this show off. Mm -hmm. 
thank you so much again to Bill Beats and Death Star for doing that. You know, they already came up with our brand new theme song. We didn't expect that and did get a bonus take, a brand new polish on our old theme song. Uh, just in time to have another punk rock legend of a band on the show. Very cool. I think that just worked out super well. So thank you again to Bill Beats. Thank you, Bill Beats. Uh, again, from the Film Festival, I'd like to thank J.T. Petty, Andy D'Amini, John R. Dilworth, Kyle Stevens, Beefy, Nick Gucker, LX Hertz, all of the various filmmakers, of course, Ben Franklin and Bloody Cuts UK for sharing their work with us, making just a fabulous festival. We had a great time doing it. I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as we did. I hope they enjoyed it more than we did. Yeah, I think so. That'd be pretty hard. I enjoyed it quite a lot. Well, yeah, but I mean, if we're wishing. <laughs> we are sponsors again. I'd like to thank Mac and Jack's Brewery, Corner Comics, Scarecrow Video, Games and Gizmos, Dolcetta Artisan Suites, Paizo Publishing, Dark Horse Comics, Oni Press, Vortex Movies and Music, Alternative Cinema, Stalker Farms, and of course, GT Printing Equipment for their of course. continued support, keeping this film festival running and polished and grooving. And of course, thank you to all of our Kickstarter backers who truly made it happen this year. Uh, that was a dedicated to you. And uh, again, I hope you dug it. And I hope you dug it. I Are dug you? it. And last but certainly not least, we'd like to thank Keith Morris of Off for joining us on the show, sharing his incredible music and the history of the band. Our usual bullshit. You can reach the show at 425-296-6557 or via email to steve at bonehand.com. Have new content on bonehand.com many Sundays. It's also the home of the Heavy Half Hour. And you can find my stuff, such as it is, at mightywombat.com. I've got a Facebook page. That's mightywombat.com, spelled out, dot, D-O-T, spelled out, com, C-O-M. And uh, I think we got a Facebook page for the show, too, don't we? We do, indeed. As well as a Twitter feed. You can find us at Bonebat on Twitter. I'm Bonehand over there. And you have a Twitter, some sort of a weird underscore Oh, yeah, I do, don't I? Yeah, Twitter mighty address. underscore Wombat. That's me on Twitter. Again, thank you for listening. And if you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Our final tune this evening. We're going to do one more from off, off their brand new one, Wasted Years. This tune is called Hypnotized. Hope you dig it. You'll one, dig it. Once again, this is Steve. This is Gord. Have a good one. Yeah, I do have a good one. Right, right.
ocean He struck a vein, he hit a nerve We saw the deer Have a good one.